How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. How lovely is this place and everything that it represents to us. In this service, together today, we will sing our way through the church year and through the ministry of the church because there is so much that we've missed over the past year and a half. And even when we first came back together, we couldn't sing very much. Now we have learned if our masks are worn properly, we can sing safely. So we are going to sing everything we missed. We'll still get you out in roughly an hour, I promise. But worship will look a bit different today. Reflecting on the entire liturgical year at once, though, reminds us of something critical. These liturgical seasons, they give order to our calendars, but they are also conditions of the heart. And there is no season of life, and there is no corner of the human heart where God cannot enter in. We will pay attention to that today. Now, it is in Advent that the church calendar always begins. In Advent, we wait. We wait for God to show up in, a, in this world in a way previously unknown to us. We wait for all that is wrong to be made right. We wait for the baby to be nestled in the manger. We wait for the lion to lie down with the lamb and for a bright star to lead us through deep darkness. We wait for racism to be our past instead of our present. We wait for swords to be beaten into plowshares, for guns to be laid down, and for communities to be built up. We wait for cancer to have a cure and for a deadly virus to relinquish its hold on us. We wait with belief and unbelief. Because the entire course of human history, it has been changed before. So surely it will be again. Until then, it will always be Advent. The difficulty of waiting is something the psalmist knew well. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear this pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But I trust in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for God has dwelt bountifully with me. Even in Advent, we are not alone. Love comes down, a reading from Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. 
He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. What if in these days a decree went out to love one another? After all, being counted is one thing, but being loved is everything. And this decree wouldn't have any caveats, clauses, or conditions because it comes down from love itself. A love that spares no expense or effort to engage with us. A love that persistently pursues us even as we pass it by. A love that sent a son to share in our suffering and our storms, all so that we might know who this love is and that we are all included. Love does indeed come down. Like the tears of this newborn baby in Jerusalem, trickling over each of our heads like water at our baptisms, seeping into our souls and flowing through the nooks and crannies of our deepest pain that we try to carefully tuck away. And why does love do this? Because you are worth it. He was born a baby, of course, but babies grow up. And as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they too followed him. Jesus called disciples. Everything that he did, he didn't do it alone, but he could have. If he had wanted to do it that way, he could have. He didn't call Simon and Andrew and James and John and you and me because he needed help. He called disciples because he knew that telling us stories and putting bread in our hands to share with others and putting us in a boat with rocking waves that we would feel long into the night and pulling out a chair for us to sit down at the table with him, and pulling out another chair for us to sit down at a table with the lonely and the lost. He did all that not because he needed help changing the world, but because he knew that doing all of those things, that's what would help change us.
At this time, I would like to invite children who are here to please come forward and join me on the steps. We will spread out from one another, but I'd love to come share the space with you. And I also want to invite John and Jenny to come join me if they will, because I'm going to need some help this morning. Yeah, and y'all can turn. Let me come down here, too. That way we can all see each other. Still trying to figure out our choreography. Good morning. It's good to see you all here together. And this is our rally day. Today is a day where our Sunday school starts, our youth group starts, our Bible studies start back up. So there's a lot of excitement. So I'm so glad that y'all are here. I have a question. Do you notice anything different about me and John and Jenny today? What's that? Um, that is weird. Um, different, um, stuff. Right. Right. We're all wearing different colors. We normally wear the same color, right? Does anybody remember what color we wore last week? What color do we wear a lot? Green, that's right. Well, we are all wearing different colors today because we are celebrating the whole year of the church today in worship because we missed a lot of time last year together. And just like our regular calendar year has seasons, we have seasons in the church. And each season has a color that we use to remember. Jenny's wearing purple for Lent. That's before Easter. I'm wearing blue. This is for Advent before Christmas. And John's wearing green, which we use a lot during what we call ordinary time. And if you look at these ribbons, you see red, which is Pentecost. And you see white, which we wear on celebration days like Christmas and Easter. So today we are celebrating a little bit of all of those because we are so excited to be together. All right. Will you all share a prayer with me? Will you pray after me? Holy God, thank you for seasons that help transform us and renew us and help us follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, if anyone is joining us for our worship readiness class, our first and second graders, you can come with me, and everyone else can sit back with your parents. We have waited a long time to see that. Kingdom language is not language the world uses much today, but Jesus knew that his disciples would understand the role of a king. A king rules over the kingdom. A king declares what sort of living will be deemed acceptable. And then Jesus tells us that God is our king, the one who declares to us what is true and right and holy. Now, we can choose to live other ways, but we don't have the power to make those other ways true and right and holy. You see, it's not the kingdom of me or the kingdom of you or the kingdom of any individual. It's the kingdom of God. We experience it sometimes. We visit it sometimes. It can feel like a foreign language or a foreign culture, one where we are told not just to love our neighbors, but to love our enemies too. 
where we're instructed to go the second mile and pay attention to the littlest. He tells us and he models for us what life in that kingdom is like, and he calls it blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That sort of living that he talked about, it attracts attention for better and for worse. They were on the road going up from Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and all those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was about to happen to him saying, The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit upon him, and flog him, and kill him. Those who followed him were afraid. We have had centuries to soften the edges of this, so that his going to the cross, it might make us sad, it might even make us angry, but not very often does it make us afraid. Or maybe it's just that all of those centuries have allowed us to follow Jesus at more of a distance. The thing about Jesus, though, Distance is the one thing he simply could not tolerate. He allowed no space between his life and ours. His love was up close and personal, which meant his love cost him. We too are to love, even when it costs us. I don't know how to say it any other way. So regardless of how we would respond, regardless of how faithful we would or would not prove ourselves to be, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, and he loved, regardless of what was waiting for him. And in that defining moment, he didn't just love in general. He loved you.
was on the cross, and then he was in the tomb, but then three days later, this was the story. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he is not here. He has been raised. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. That's where you will see him. This Easter story makes no sense. And that's where all of its glory comes from. It was supposed to be the very worst moment, but it became the best. Jesus was dead and then he wasn't. Hope had been extinguished. And then there it was walking around again, offering words of encouragement and promise for the future. It's not supposed to work that way, but it did. And there is absolutely no sense to it. There is only love, because the love of God cannot and will not be stopped. It will descend even to the deepest of depths, and it will always rise back up again. Friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. As good as that day and as good as that song are, 
The story of Jesus did not and does not end with the resurrection. In the time that followed, God's spirit gave birth to the church. Now the church, when we get it right, it's not an institution or an organization or even a building. It's a family, a community, a network of relationships through which we can see the life of Jesus lived out right in front of us. Now there's a lot of ways to describe what the church is supposed to do. Above all, the church is called to the work of love. Love that is not a feeling. Love that is a choice. A choice that we make over and over and over again. With so much repetition, it becomes a habit, a practice, as close to us as the air we breathe. Now some would have looked at Christ's choice to love as weakness. But he showed us that love is what makes us human. And when people actually choose to become human to one another, that's what changes the world. And that's why Peter, when the Holy Spirit gathered everyone up into the first church, he said, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you. Listen to what I say. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit over all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. The younger among you, they shall see visions. And the elder among you shall dream dreams. God in prayer. Steadfast God, this 9-11 anniversary, we are thankful for your presence and love in tragedy and its aftermath. May your peace, love, grace, and light continue to rain down, blessing all your people everywhere. Gracious God, it is so right today to give our thanks and praise for walking alongside us this last year. Fitting the church year reminds us who you are, who Christ is and will be in our lives, reminds us who we are and who we are to be. God, it has been some year. It continues to be so, but on this day, as we rally for a new church school year, looking back, we are thankful you have been with us. You have kept us in your house this past year. Today, you hold us. And tomorrow, you lead us into your future. For you are God who dwells with us, who delights in us, who loves us and calls us to be all we might be. Your people in the world, the church, gracing, loving, helping, serving, blessing. Others near and far, especially the least of these, the homeless, lonely, refugee, sick, tired, sick and tired, 
healthcare workers, first responders, frontline workers, peacemakers and keepers, children vulnerable, those beset by war and violence and without means or access to food, shelter, clothing, health care, or mental health care. On this new day, God, rally us around your Son, Jesus Christ, to share his love and be the light to the world, praying as he taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, even as some still doubted. But Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them, teach them everything that I have taught you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We baptize because Jesus tells us to. But we also do it because we need it. Baptism doesn't make us holier and it doesn't save us from suffering or pain What it does is remind us of an unshakable truth that we belong to God always and forever. That our truest name is the one we repeat at the font over and over, child of the covenant. That we are part of God's family, not because of who we are and what we have done, but because of who God is and because of what God has done. Honestly, belonging to God is not dependent upon us at all. Now we remind ourselves of this with just a sprinkle of water. But this little bit of ordinary water, it contains a giant and extraordinary promise. Now, we will sing this truth together with hymn 482, but we will sing verse 3. Jesus spoke these words, Paul gave them to us, and you know them. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, and it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant, Sealed in my blood, do this, and as often as you drink of it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
These words are the truth of this table. Every time we gather at this table to feast, Jesus offers the entirety of himself. I suppose that some days it's possible that it just looks like a few bites of bread and sips of juice. But if you look at this table with fierceness of conviction, or through tears of grief, or with honest curiosity, or even skepticism, over time you will see that this bread, it is more than bread. It is love broken open. And this cup is more than a cup. It is grace poured out. Whether you see it or not, whether you trust it or not, it's still what is offered to you at this table. Everything we need and more than we can imagine. Jesus offers the fullness of himself to us at this table. And this table, then, is where we also are invited to offer the fullness of our lives back to God. So trusting in the vision, wisdom, and heart of God, let us give of ourselves this day and every day.
the ruler of all. In life and in death, we belong to God, the ruler of all. But even still, death breaks our hearts. That's why Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples about his own death, he said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and I will take you there myself so that where I am, there you may be also. These words remind us, they promise us, that death is never the last chapter of anyone's story. And you know this. Think of someone close to you who is now held in the hand of God. Think of a favorite memory with them and hold that in your heart. And think about how much you loved them in that moment. And now think about how much you love them today. It's not any less, is it? It couldn't possibly be. Because you see, love holds on even in the face of death. And if we are capable of a love like that, how much more so is God? I will come again. And I will take you to myself, Jesus says, so that where I am, there you may be also. Nothing, absolutely nothing in this life or the next is stronger than the love of God. And that love never stops holding tight to us. That is why even at the grave, we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia. Loving the so-called least. A reading from Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Just do it. Jesus says, as Pastor Tony Campolo witnesses walking down Broad Street in Philadelphia, a homeless man comes up with a cup of McDonald's coffee and he offers me some. I take a sip, wondering, what's gotten into you being generous, giving away your coffee like that? Well, he said, Coffee's really good today. When God gives you something good, you ought to share it with people. 
anything I can give you in return? Thinking he might want five dollars. Yeah, you can give me a hug. I was hoping for the five dollars. As I hugged him and he hugged me on this busy city street, people passing by, it suddenly dawned on me this wasn't a man I was holding. I heard Jesus' voice. I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was naked. Did you clothe me? I was sick. Did you care for me? I was the stranger. Did you take me in? For if you did it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it unto me. work of ministry, we need hope to keep us going through it. And hope is so much more than wishful thinking. Hope is the conviction that God will keep God's promises. Hope is what allows us to say, I see the circumstances right in front of me, and even still, I believe a better day is coming. Hope is a choice. But it is also a gift, and hope never just appears out of a vacuum. More often than not, I find hope in you. We find hope in each other. We say it here often, you cannot be Christian by yourself. Because on a day when my hope is fragile, you help hold me up. And on a day when your hope is harder to find, we will lend you some of ours. The Apostle Paul, some of his words were a little short-sighted, but he was absolutely on the mark with words like these, written to Christians. We always give thanks to God for you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ.
Some of Jesus' first words were, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Near. Near is not here, not yet, not in all its completeness. For the promise is that in God's final work, a work of new creation, all will be healed. The broken heart and the broken mind, the broken body and the broken society, all of it will be transformed. We get a glimpse of it now and again. Sometimes we see justice, forgiveness, creativity and possibility. Sometimes we see resurrection. Other times it's harder to see and even harder to believe. But it is near because God is always near. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For all of these things will have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, These words, they are trustworthy and true. And friends, this this is news that is so good, it simply must be sung. <laughs>